Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Ruby Warrington. She is someone I've wanted to get on the podcast for ages. I love her work. She writes about the mystical and magical and spiritual world, but in a very relatable and grounded and interesting way. Before spinning off and doing all of her own projects, she was the features editor of the Sunday Times Style magazine. And in 2013, she created The Numinous, which is an online magazine that bridges the gap between the mystical and the mainstream. I wanted to invite Ruby on the podcast to discuss in particular her book, Sober Curious, which she might be best known for. Uh, It's had coverage on the New York Times, for example, and everyone has been discussing it. It's been described as a bold guide to choosing to live hangover free. And it's one of the leading books on the new sobriety movement. What I love about Ruby's book is it's not necessarily a book telling you to stop drinking, but more a book inspiring you to be a bit more curious around when and how you drink and really just opening up the conversation and also looking at some habits that we all might have and looking at reasons why we're doing it um, and if we want to make a change. Some of the time we don't want to make a change and actually things are going fine. But I really liked her book because for me, I wanted to just drink a bit more consciously, I think. Anyway, we talk a lot about that in the episode and it's quite a personal one from that point of view. It's really inspiring, it's timely and it's totally judgment free, which is something I want to get across in this intro. It's very blame free, no one is pointing a finger, it's just a conversation about drinking and the culture of drinking, especially in Britain. And I suppose it's become sort of quite trendy now not to drink, so we sort of talk about that as well. There's a lot of nuance in the sober curious movement and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It really is for anyone who is curious and wants to maybe shake things up in the new year or maybe not. So hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please rate or review on iTunes. That would be fantastic. So here is the episode. Ruby, this is like so overdue. And um, the amount of people that have said to me, you guys need to meet. And I feel like that is some sort of like hint from the universe that we need to meet. <laughs> Absolutely. And the same for me. I think it's about two and a half years ago we first started talking about making this happen. Yeah. And we were just chatting about, I'm obviously based in New York and we've tried so many times on my trips to London or your trips to New York and it's never happened. And here we are. We're here. The stars have aligned. And I'm feeling slightly run down and I was like, there's no way this isn't happening because we've like planned this. And also you're not here in London for that long. No. And um, so I'm so happy. I'm so happy to to um, finally be talking to you. So before we dive into Sober Curious, because that's Mm. what I really wanted to get into today, because I have a lot of thoughts I want to share with you. Mm. You've really inspired me. Mm. But can you just explain a little bit about your background to the listeners? Because you're so interesting and you've worked in traditional jobs and journalism, but then you've also created an incredible platform of your own, which is also amazing. So you kind of straddle a few different worlds. I wondered if you could sum it up a bit. Many. I'm (laughs) such a slasher. Yay, join I the really club. am. Although I'm trying to narrow it down to, to fewer slashes, but it's just, I, I, you know, sober curious. I have such a curious mind. I find it really hard not to pursue the things that I'm interested in. And I'm thankful that we live in a day and age now where that means I can have a career that has many different tentacles, let's say. But yeah, I'm from the UK originally, born and bred in London um, and had a sort of 15, 16 year career in what we now know as legacy media. 
<laughs> yes. Here in, in the UK. Um, well, this building that we're in a podcast studio now used to be a magazine yeah, uh, building. I thought that and when I, I arrived. I felt like that's a, it's a bit of a weird sign of the times. Sign, yeah. But yeah, work my way up through. And actually, I was reminiscing, you know, Soho was so my stomping ground. I went to London College of Fashion and my first interning job was on a magazine called People in London, like uber trendy kind of style magazine in the nascent days of the internet and email, let alone social media or anything like that, you know. And it was just really funny to reminisce and think about how much London's changed, how much the world has changed. Mm. But yeah, I worked my way out through magazines until I um, found myself Sunday Times Style magazine, which was kind of my dream job, had fulfilled all of my journalistic ambitions at the age of like 34 and found myself as much as I was loving the job in particular, I now can see the status that came with that kind of a title deeply dissatisfied there was something that major that was missing I've always been really ambitious but it's not necessarily been about climbing the ladder for me it's been much more about fulfilling living a fulfilling and satisfying life you know creating work that feels meaningful to me Mm. and at the time that really did but there was still something missing and so it was around then that I started I've always been really interested in astrology and all things to do with mysticism and spirituality. But at the time, this is sort of back in like 2010, 11, (laughs) it was still deeply, deeply uncool, right? You had to really dig around on the internet to find good stuff. And even then it kind of looked pretty terrible. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought there had to be, it felt like there was a real gap for a, a media platform that covered those subjects in a modern fresh and relevant way and that became the numinous which is yeah I don't really ever know what to call it it's not an, it's an online magazine but it has a podcast and I do events and retreats so it's kind of a media platform I suppose covers all aspects of what I have termed now age spirituality so everything everything new age but updated and made relevant for now because I think that actually this era of instant gratification and mega distraction that we're living through these ancient human technologies are so relevant and so necessary actually for us to balance out our nervous systems and to be able to actually keep up with the pace of life in the now age you know yeah it's so true and the fact that the loss of perhaps uh, embedded religion and also like community if you are maybe living in a big city you can feel quite isolated and these things are super helpful but I wondered with that because obviously you like you said you kind of came to that way earlier than maybe a lot of people now you can buy crystals on ASOS <laughs> like has it has that helped kind of attract more people towards the numinous or in a way is it like getting lost in this sea of astrology and stuff like that yeah I mean you know there there was no even when I started the numinous there wasn't really Instagram let alone Instagram astrology meme accounts you know and mm-hmm. I and or ed- astrology apps I think that the numinous was really it really led the way and was really tapping into something very zeitgeisty which is now everywhere and I think that's great because my mission with the numinous was to make all of this more accessible and so it's fantastic that people do have access however I do feel like sometimes some of the integrity is lost and it can be much more of a kind of a life like an adjunct like a lifestyle an accessory rather Mm. than actually you know the reason I love astrology for example for me it's an incredible tool for self-analysis and for really knowing myself on a deep psychological level And a lot of the work that I do through my astrological practice is very painful. It's stuff that I do internally and it's stuff that I do alone or with, you know, trusted groups of friends. 
it's not something that I really want to be sharing on Instagram. <laughs> the, yeah, I love that. The, so, the, the opposite of yeah, exactly. you know, the performative posts. Exactly. So I took a, I actually took a hiatus from the Numinous this year because I was feeling quite frustrated with feeling the pressure to kind of keep up with like co-star and keep up with you know, I don't, do you have co-star here? I've heard of it. I downloaded it when I was in New York. Okay, yeah, um, it's a big, the first really popular. It got mega, you know, VC investment mm-hmm. astrology app. And um, is Pattern the one that sort of Pattern is another one from the ex Facebook people, and there's one called Sanctuary as well. Mm-hmm. So Ooh, I didn't new... know it was ex Facebook. That makes me uh, mm, <laughs> gives a little bit of a sour <laughs> taste, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I felt just this kind of this pressure really to kind of like keep up and found myself posting more and more sort of throwaway clickbait astro content that just started to feel really icky to me. So I took I've pulled back from it and I think, you know, my numbers have taken a massive dive, but I'm like if I'm going to do this it has to be integrity for me. Mm. So I'm thinking I'm still and we'll get on to sober curious, but that's really taken off this year so I had to pull back a little bit on the new mm. <laughs> but I you know, you know that I have really interesting plans for the brand in the years to come but yeah it may mean smaller numbers and deeper content for a smaller platform which I think that holds more appeal to me than trying to say I've read a quote there's this brilliant book I just read you, you're probably familiar with it Jaron Lanier it's called 10 arguments for deleting your social media accounts right oh, now no I haven't must read everybody it's so good I haven't deleted my social media accounts but <laughs> <laughs> there's a quote he sort of says something like what if it's better to say something meaningful to one person than to say nothing to everybody and I'm really feeling that Mm. For, for, in, for me as a, cre- a creator I've always been a content creator writer journalist and I just I feel very conflicted about the way that digital media has impacted that totally and want to find ways to say more meaningful things using those platforms it's a tricky one <laughs> I totally agree I mean I I'm actually relaunching a newsletter in January and I I feel like I want to cap it at a certain maybe a certain number because I, I actually I feel like I want to go backwards I want it to be smaller right. and actually I feel like I don't you know what you know when you go to an event and there's like 200 people in the audience and no one really talks to each other because I don't know it's just yeah. a bit like oh I, I don't know anyone and if you do an event for 30 people everyone's chatting mm-hmm. and I feel like we've lost that connection if you're trying to be too mainstream maybe you lose what you're trying to say exactly I mean imagine if you actually knew the name of everyone on your newsletter and you kind of knew a little bit about them then you could really tailor content to them rather than kind of like looking at algorithms to tailor your content. Yeah. But I feel like we're in a transition collectively with how we consume media. Obviously, all the stuff to do with politics. I mean, it's so we're talking on election day. Yeah, <laughs> we are. I, I registered to vote as a as a foreign <laughs> as a foreign register, so I went and did that this morning. But um, yeah, I think that we're, there's just so much more awareness now around the the way that actually, in the same way. When it comes to wellness, we're so much more educated about the impact of what we consume in terms of food and diet and drink. I think people are starting to cultivate an awareness that actually the media we consume and how we consume it is equally important when it comes to our overall well-being. Yeah, I mean, even with the, the politics that you just mentioned, we're all in such an echo chamber. And I, I woke up this morning, went on Twitter, scrolled, had to come off it because it was just it was everyone telling me 
the things I kind of think myself, but but like shouting it at me. Mm. And I was like, I actually feel like it would be better and more beneficial for me to go to the pub with four friends that actually I don't agree with and talk it out. Yeah. Rather than yes. just, you know, kind of go same, same to people on Twitter. So anyway, <laughs> sorry, needs to get that huge, out of my system. <laughs> huge side note, but yes, I agree. <laughs> um, anyway, we're here to talk about Sober Curious. And I kind of wanted to firstly make a small confession, really, because I think, and I don't know if it's the whole reason why it's taken so long to talk to you, but I think I was subconsciously scared to talk about it. Hmm. I don't think I was ready. Interesting. I think I'm very similar to the to the you you talk about in the book at the beginning of the book, mm. who, I mean, I wouldn't say I had a problem, but, and, you know, you can tell from my voice that I'm a bit like, <laughs> do I? Um, I myself. <laughs> and I, I think I was relying on alcohol in a way that was unhealthy. I tried to be very defensive and be like, well, I love a glass of red wine with a roast on a Sunday. That's fine. But what about the Tuesday night where you're at home and you have one glass has led to another? Wake up with a vicious hangover on a Wednesday when I've got a busy day. Anyway, just getting that out of the picture of the context of yeah. why I have, in the lead up to this interview, been sober curious. <laughs> and I'm so like overcome with sort of annoyance that you're right and also um I have a lot of like like everything that you say in the book is true I feel so much better oh Emma I'm so happy thank well thank you first of all for being honest about that you know the fact that it you weren't ready to have that conversation I remember you know on the 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 subhead for the book which I don't actually love my publisher wanted it it's the blissful sleep greater focus I'm reading it over your shoulder limitless presence and deep connection awaiting us all on the other side of alcohol (laughs) but and the reason my publisher wanted that they're like this is a bit weird Ruby you're telling people who don't have a quote-unquote problem with alcohol that they should stop drinking we need to really sell the benefits of this because it's not there are so many reasons why a person might not pick that book up or think it's for them Mm. and yet alcohol is something that touches all of our lives we all probably know someone who does have what we would consider to be a problem with alcohol somewhere in our family or our colleagues or our friendship group or whatever. We've seen that, right? Yeah. And yeah, the majority of us who drink regularly have drunk to excess and do abuse alcohol on occasions. That's the truth. And yet it's not a truth that we speak about or Absolutely. are really ready to acknowledge. Yeah. And honestly, if I'd interviewed you six months ago... I think I would have come in here really, like, not really, like, obviously not, like, horrible and defensive, but I would have met you at a, no, I really like drinking. Yeah, right. And actually, it's, you know, it's really helps my life and I feel great when I do it and I love it and it's sociable and I'd come up with all these reasons and drinking is is obviously, like, if, you, if you're if you listening to this and you, you drink, like, that's fine and, and the book, it spells out that it's not judgmental. It, it very much says, this journey of being sober curious is a personal one mm. and... It's not going around like being the smug friend who's like boasting about not drinking. Definitely, definitely not. Like this is really what I found myself saying repeatedly is, you know, my stance, which does come across in the book, is like I don't perceive and I don't believe that alcohol is good or bad. I don't believe that drinking is good or bad. I don't believe that abstaining is good or bad. I don't think sobriety is good or bad, right? It's not about facing a judgment on um, any kind of a moral judgment on this choice. It's about what really works for me mm. and being really honest about that and hell yeah I mean you know a friend a sort of an old London friend who I've since reconnected with in New York who's back in the UK now posted something the other day about like you know the good old days back in the 90s when drinking was really fun 
<laughs> I, you know, I love Cocktail Girl. My book's dedicated to Cocktail Girl. And I loved her. And I think back and I had so many amazing times. And yeah, alcohol can be all of those things. And it's a slippery beast. And it, the coin can turn so quickly and so imperceptibly sometimes. Mm. And we find ourselves ooh, kind of being controlled by it in a way that's not necessarily healthy yes and like you said it's about being curious and actually i i really went into this as how fun would it be to just know what i'm like without alcohol right. for two weeks or a month and so i've done it and what i've noticed is and and this isn't to say that i'm not gonna like christmas is coming up i'm i'm probably gonna have some champagne with my family and i'm really looking forward to that but i've noticed that i'm feeling things more deeply Mm -hmm. to the point where in a weird way because I do drink I do drink a lot like I would probably drink like a glass of wine probably most nights actually or every other night like little and often Mm -hmm. but I was watching a film the other day and I just like started like really crying at it and I was like I don't know if I've like really I've been taking the edge off I haven't been feeling as deeply as I want to be because I I really enjoy having like a good old cry oh my god and that's part of this is why this fits with the numinous thing, right? Our feelings are what make us human. We live in this world that is increasingly controlled by technology, where increasingly we're asked to kind of like keep up with all of our tech. What makes us human is our feelings. And if we can't feel them, we're missing out on that part of being human, you know? Yeah. So could you <laughs> totally, could you talk a little bit about how you came to this? Because I feel like you've arrived at such a lovely place, the fact that you can write this whole book with all the stuff you've learned. But how dependent were you on alcohol? And, and j- just a flashback, because I feel yeah. like you're sitting in front of me as this like yeah. totally like I was you, sorted Emma. person. Sounds like, oh, I'm so not sorted. And by the way, blissful sleep, whatever. I slept about four hours last night, so jet lag, getting my period, like it was too hot in the hotel room. You know, it's not like a, it's not a magic pill. Life is still shit sometimes, right? Also, I've, it's had, just... I've had bad days on my non-drinking and I'm like, well, what is it then? <laughs> but it was just the alcohol. <laughs> exactly. But that is part of the piece. Because only when you can go, you can take the edge off and you can go, whatever. Or you can go, what, what is this then? Those are the most important sober curious questions to answer. What is this then? Only when you really get to grips with why you're feeling crappy can you actually really do something about it. And it might not be easy to do something about it, but that's otherwise what you're just going to continue carrying that stuff around. Anyway, to flashback, yeah, you probably have quite a lot of listeners who are in media and marketing and these sorts of industries. And we it's a very boozy industry. And in the UK, you know, I came of age in the era of like the ladettes and Sex in the City on the TV. And it was cool and sexy and showed that you were a good feminist to be able to drink pints of beer and Jack Daniels out of the bottle. And so that's kind of how I learned to drink in my early 20s. You know, I, I was saying I worked on a magazine in Soho that was this really trendy style magazine and they literally used to like pay us in wraps of cocaine. <laughs> I mean, that was just the kind of the background, right? I didn't take the cocaine at the time. That came later <laughs> in my story. But um, I kind of developed quickly what I now see as was a very strong dependence on alcohol. I was never a blackout drinker, never blackout I was always the one who the next morning after going out with colleagues, everyone was like, were you drunk? You didn't even seem drunk. Like totally held it together. And it wasn't like I could hold 
I mean, I guess I could hold my drink, right? Mm. <laughs> Which I took as a matter of pride because that also showed I was a good feminist. That was part yeah. of the whole messaging, right? If you can drink as much as men, it's pretty much as good as earning as much as men, except I probably wasn't as earning as much as men. So mm. it actually wasn't. <laughs> yeah, and, and you could be like, oh, well, it clearly doesn't affect me that badly. So therefore, so I'm going to carry on. I don't on. have a problem. I can't have, I don't have a problem. Exactly. And honestly, it was only when I started to, so flashback then to, you know, did really well in my career, got this job at Sunday Times. And I remember when I first got the job, I was features editor on Style. I decided I would take a break from from midweek drinking and only drink at the weekends because I just wanted to be really sharp. I really didn't want to mess up. So I took a break and that felt good. But then once I'd kind of settled into the job and got the hang of the deadlines and, and found my footing there, it kind of crept back in. And to the point where a couple of years in, I found myself editing the party pages on top of my kind of the big heavy day job part of the job. And that meant going to a lot of events where I had right. the cringeworthy job of finding whatever celebrity was there and trying to get a quote from them. This is the least, like, this is exactly what I didn't go into journalism for. That's so not me. I'm so introverted. I really don't like parties, even, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I think at that period, it's not like I started drinking more, but I think that I was feeling anxiety and stress and actually the alcohol was kind of exacerbating that because I wasn't giving myself the necessary rest and downtime to kind of regulate my nervous mm. system and give myself the quiet sort of internal space that I needed to be able to kind of be out there in the world to that extent. Yeah. I just started feeling really severe anxiety for the first time in my life. I would often be tearful in the office, which was just not a good look. <laughs> um, and I think probably, you know, I was probably binging a bit more at the weekends. Cocaine had come into the picture by that point because it was just, just what everyone does, mm. right? And it meant I could drink more. <laughs> and I remember I, I started speaking to one of my colleagues, my desk buddy, who wasn't really a particular friend, but for the very first time vocalising, I think maybe, would it, like, do you know anyone who doesn't, like, would it be better not to drink? Just kind of having these questions, like, what would it, maybe I should cut back, like. Uh. And then it was only when I decided, okay, I actually do want to take, I want to, try cutting this out and just see how much of an impact it's having overall that I realized how difficult that was mm. and not necessarily because I had such awful cravings and couldn't imagine a night without drink more so that it was just so ingrained in my entire work life social life mm -hmm. family life it was just everywhere and I very quickly realized that opting out meant facing a ton of questions a ton of peer pressure and a ton of like, okay, I don't have a social life if I don't drink. And that was the more difficult piece for me. And I think a lot a lot of people experience that. That's definitely a part of the book I found super interesting because you really highlight the how socially it's so ingrained and how you get all these questions and then people are like, are you pregnant or blah, blah, blah. Or, and or it's don't like, be boring is the worst yeah, one. Don't are be you being boring tonight? <laughs> and I mean, I'm saying all of this. I mean, I've literally been sober curious for like a couple of weeks and I'm like on the train. But I was that person judging the person like I'd be like you're ruining my night by sitting there not drinking because deep down they're highlighting the fact that I can't not drink they're making a decision that I would find really hard so therefore I take it out on them and be like you're boring and there is also when you're drinking together you get on a level of hilarity and conviviality that isn't accessible if you're not drinking right mm. it's it is a different atmosphere if there's someone who's not drinking when you're a table of drinkers. And I totally get that. Yeah. There's a separation, right?
I was in a weird, and this is very telling for me as well. My my brother's a DJ, and my husband used to work in the music biz too. So I remember always, even in my kind of most hedonistic, fun drinking years, being really like not envious, but so impressed by whoever was there and wasn't drinking. Mm. Wow, they can do this without that. Wow, that's so. They must be so. I think what I was feeling was they must be so confident. They must have so much energy. They must be so themselves. They must just love this so much. That they the don't, they that they don't need the fact they can, can dance fun. and be social and be out until four in the morning and not drink. I was just like, you Superman, you know? Yes. <laughs> well, I wondered, I know that you've got a chapter in the book called Wine in the Age of Wellness. Wine in the called? Age of Wellness, yes. Because how do you, what's your relationship with, with the word wellness these days? Because, okay, <laughs> for you, I mean, I knew from reading the book, but I'm really like anti kind of just want to take a step back from any sort of wellness because I, I do believe it's a spiral into basically constricting and living quite a miserable life of, of like feeling like you can't have any joy or it can lead down a slippery slope of like if you if you've had any eating disorders things like that I think the wellness movement can be really dangerous mm. but I was thinking one positive of like it becoming trendy to, to not drink is that I was out the other night and um, there were eight options for non-alcoholic uh, there was like non-alcoholic beer a non-alcoholic Prosecco um, that seed lip thing and, mm. and some other things because I think back in the day it would be like horrible elderflower and like yeah. you'd have to have a fizzy drink or, or water <laughs> so do you th- how do you feel about like these trends like the positive mm. and the negative well as with everything in life there's a positive and a negative right as with alcohol as with social media as with wellness being trendy and the reason I kind of went ew I sort of feel like the wellness industry let's say is what makes me go ew because what I see is people's genuine need to feel better particularly mentally emotionally being packaged up and sold back as like this is going to solve all your problems when it's not because what's going to solve all your problems is actually taking the necessary time to yeah answer that question why do I feel really crappy and make the necessary changes which are much more likely to be making serious decisions about is this career right for me why am I not able to attract a relationship like why don't I have any relationship with my mom like these serious questions which are the things that really lead to us being quote-unquote unwell, I think. Mm. And then, of course, there are all the people who are genuinely suffering like debilitating conditions or chronic health issues who are completely not being served by the wellness conversation. So I have all of those kinds of issues with it. And I think it's part of the reason I took a break with the numinous as well, because it was getting lumped in with wellness. And I'm like, it's just not, sorry. Mm. (laughs) But on the flip side, yes, I think... In a way, the fact that more people are at least open to, oh, what does it mean to be well and what can I do to like improve my overall, I don't mind the word well-being. Mm, yes. <laughs> I think that is one of the things that has led to more people being sober curious and questioning the role that alcohol plays in their overall or well-being. And a lot of people who might come to it for physical reasons, as with lots of this wellness stuff, once you really start paying attention to the physical, you can't then ignore the mental, emotional component, which I think are the deeper and more as important parts to address. Mm-hmm. But yeah, more people investing, you know, time, money, energy in their well-being, it then becomes less and less easy to justify a bottle of wine on Friday night and how it makes you feel afterwards. It's just like becomes really glaringly obvious that this is not making you feel good (laughs) then that that has led to yeah more options for people and it's interesting sometimes 
So the curious and this becoming a movement and, you know, the, the industry, again, that's springboarding off the back of it with all these different drinks companies coming into the market sometimes gets criticism for capitalising on people's sobriety, which is a very serious mental health issue. Mm. <laughs> However, I think that the more options, the lower the barrier to entry for people to at least try it can only ever be a good thing, you know? Yes, definitely. You talk about shame in the book and, and how we kind of keep that inside us sometimes. And I wondered, to anyone listening who wants to be sober curious, but might, I mean, they might not even have like a big problem with it, but they might go out and like totally kind of relapse into like an old behaviour. Has that happened to you in the past? And how did you deal with the, the next day feeling guilty? Because I feel like I'm on a really good track at the moment. And like I wake up and open one eye and I'm like, oh, I'm not hungover. <laughs> Woo! Like opening the curtains and like loving life. But that's not to say that I'm not going to have a one eye open. Oh, fuck moment because we're only human. Yeah. And we're entering party season. It could happen in the next few weeks, Emma. <laughs> Just <laughs> being realistic. Right. So first of all, that word relapse, I, I reframe it as reminder. I relapse reminded over the period of like seven years or something in terms of going backwards and forwards as I did so many times and the guilt that I felt inevitably after you know waking up I'd I'd get that like you know even have like a couple of beers and wake up at three in the morning with my heart pounding and my chest just kind of sweaty and like oh I did it did it again why did I do that I didn't need that I knew I'd feel like this why am I doing it just more information for me next time (laughs) When I'm next considering, "Mm, this seems like fun, wait a minute, wait, flashback to three in the morning, heart pounding, sweating, like, why did you do this? Oh, maybe not. Maybe I'll try the non-alcoholic version tonight and see how it goes, you know? It's just more information. I differentiate, and I I think I'm quoting Brene Brown. She differentiates between guilt and shame, shame being the more toxic of the, the two emotions. Guilt being, you know, I did something wrong, I need to make some kind of amends. Shame being, I did something wrong, there is something wrong with me, right? Mm. And so much easier to get out of the guilty feelings, whereas shame, yeah, is something that we believe is kind of intractable and lives within us, just as part of us. There's nothing wrong with being guilty about having a drink. Maybe you did something quote-unquote wrong, that's okay. You just do just something differently next time, you know? <laughs> yeah, because I wondered, I don't know if your parents, like um, my parents are like classic baby boomers who drink every night. They love drinking and they go out all the time with their friends, like they're party animals. They There's literally like a get in the door and they're like getting a bottle of wine out. That's going to be tricky for me going home this mm. Christmas because they, it's so socially normal for them. I thought maybe that is something that millennials or any generation below have dealt with. They've seen their parents do it and it, a child's mind assumes mm. their parents are right. Absolutely. Yeah, so often I don't have kids, and but often people will ask me, how do I talk to my kids about alcohol? Like, what's the right way to educate them? What message should I be giving? And I'm like, always, it's it's not what you say, it's what you do. They're gonna they're gonna see how you act with alcohol, and how it, you know you use it in your lives, and that's what they'll follow basically and then there's all of the external stuff which you just can't control which every kid and every human is exposed to like on a daily basis you probably notice that as well like as soon as you take a step out of the drinking culture you just notice how everywhere it is and how we're kind of corralled almost constantly to get into pubs and and stay there as long as possible particularly in England but yeah my parents actually I had two very different my parents separated when I was one 
Um, but I would spend weekends with my dad and my mum was really into, this is like, you know, late 70s, early 80s. She was buying all organic food. She was trying a macrobiotic diet. Her friends wow. in the, the place we grew up were into yoga. Like she got really heavily involved with this Indian guru who was like the first person to bring Ayurveda and acupuncture to the UK. She so sounds amazing. She's kind of amazing. She's like <laughs> the original numinous. But no, seriously, I mean, she really was kind of she doesn't like the word hippie sorry mum she was kind of hip, hippie-ish she's she allows me to use that she was hippie-ish <laughs> so she but she but all because she was very you know she had had her own difficulties and was looking for ways to heal herself you know and so alcohol was there but it was very much like a glass of sherry at christmas oh what a treat kind of a attitude right whereas my dad was <laughs> a university lecturer London was always hosting dinner parties. His students would come over. There would be copious red wine, whiskey afterwards, Marlboro Reds with the filters taken off the end. So he was kind of like more on the rock and roll end of the drinking spectrum. So I had two really differing models for like alcohol consumption. I didn't really get heavily into drinking until after I left college. And that's again, it's almost a whole other long story, but I was in a very abusive relationship from the age of 16 to 22. And he was really into weed (laughs) and basically hated alcohol was one of those kind of weed guys who are like alcohol's evil and weed is going to save the world. And so he pretty much banned me from drinking, which yeah, Mm. was, is a whole other story, (laughs) but it was coming out of that relationship that I really dove heavily into the drinking culture because actually it was such an up yours to Mm, to rebelling against so much. So yeah. Yeah. And that was like ladder era and it was kind of coming out using alcohol as a bridge out of that relationship, which I talk about in Sober Curious and and looking back, I can absolutely see that's what it was. It did give me the confidence to leave him. Actually, it was really useful to me at that time in my life, Mm. you know? Mm. Yeah, such a. This is why I was so excited to talk to you today because it's such a nuanced and complex, and that's what you're so brilliant at is seeing it it as like so many different sides, mm. and and not just kind of speaking in like inspirational quotes about one thing because everyone can join in. Mm. It's very accessible for mm. that reason. So, do you are you completely sober now, or would you like like your mum? Would you have like a little treat, or how's... I wouldn't think of it as a treat. Because right, for okay. me, that's still keeping it in a pe- on the pedestal of like special good, right, right pleasure. Right. Yeah, I've tried very hard, and this is a very yogic, <laughs> and probably my meditation practices really help with this. I try to keep a very neutral mind about it. Neither good, bad. It's just is okay. a thing. I see it almost as like a medicine, like any of any of those drugs that I listed earlier. There's a time and a place for morphine, right? <laughs> like all these things, there's a time and a place for amphetamines, right? They have their medicinal uses. And I think I see alcohol now almost as a kind of medicine. Mm. It doesn't really work for me in the like hedonistic way. It sort of just makes me feel really sleepy. And actually, whereas I used to think it was the thing that loosened my tongue and kind of like gave me the energy to show up and party now if I use it in social settings I I find it makes me really dull it really dulls my senses and makes my words come out really slowly and I'm just it doesn't facilitate and also I've really been able to identify for me the main reason I used it as well as social anxiety was to switch off from work for me it was my relax button Mm. at the end of a stressful work day that's what it was for me so what I've really had to work on my work with Sober Curious has been finding other ways to relax and unwind, whether that's taking on less jobs but charging more for them. That's a really good one, yes. <laughs> rather than saying yes to everything and burning myself out. Yoga, meditation, all those kind of 
practices can be really helpful. A non-alcoholic beer is a great placebo for me on a Friday mm. night that still signals to me, tools down, it's the end of the week. You know? I've really noticed that. It's a weird, it's, isn't it? I'm, it's, it's, it's given me all of the things I wanted and just not that thing that makes me feel crap the next day. Yeah. I mean, it's like... <laughs> A revelation. Because <laughs> it tastes the same to it me. Exactly and my brain thinks it's exactly. exactly the same thing. So I used to use it for social anxiety. Again, identified, oh yeah, really don't actually like parties, only really enjoy socialising in small groups. So that's how I do my socialising now. No need for alcohol. I found other ways to relax and unwind. So again, no need for alcohol. Like the situations in which it's a an appropriate substance for me have got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So mm. do I still drink now? It's an interesting time that you've asked me. I found myself craving a glass of red wine, and that hasn't happened for about two years, a few weeks ago. And it was coming off the back of a really intense work trip. I had been to Denver to host two events back-to-back out there. And then I'd gone to this retreat centre where I was kind of involved in some of the stuff that was going on, and my period was a week late, and I was just, like, strung out like physically mentally just exhausted and I also haven't eaten meat for 10 years right Right. and I found myself with this intense craving for like red wine and chicken (laughs) so I went out and I had a glass of red wine and a chicken salad I could only make it halfway through the glass of wine before I started to feel myself going into tipsy zone and I didn't want that right because I knew that would wow does that happen if you don't drink you it's you're more like it's stronger oh my god it's so powerful I can have a sip now and I can feel the effects like quite intensely and we don't realize when we're so used to drinking like how how quickly our tolerance increases and I think Think back to your Soho days when you would be like on the pints, yeah. Oh my goodness. That was the era. My husband did the PR for Fabric when it first opened. And he had this card for free drinks in the VIP. And we'd literally be in there on double vodka tonics till like four in the morning all weekend. Did you enjoy the the red wine and the chicken salad? Yes. You know what? It felt like um, the chicken just felt so nourishing. And I was like, okay, I think sometimes actually my body does need a piece of chicken and maybe it's like I don't know I'm not gonna again I don't I'm not like it's gonna be this time or just when my body really asks for it and that's another thing with this whole sober curious I realized that not only was I numbing my physical feelings but I was numbing my actual relationship with my Mm. body and what it's telling me it wants on a daily basis like it's kind of amazing that is amazing so I'm a real believer if I'm craving a pizza and a beer I'm going to give myself that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because it's nourishing in a a different way. Exactly. And I think there's obviously something that you need. And so with the wine, yeah, I drank maybe three quarters of the glass and then I could feel myself and I was like, no, enough. But it tasted delicious and I got my period the next day. (laughs) And um, it just kind of felt like it almost had a muscle relaxant effect or something. It felt very medicinal. It's the first time I was able to go, oh, yes, I can see how this is a has a medicinal Mm. property sometimes. Wow. That is so interesting because all of this is just about listening to your body. Mm -hmm. And it sounds very powerful. And because of the way alcohol... Because alcohol is A, so addictive, B, so heavily marketed at us, C, most of us regular drinkers have an emotional dependence on it to some degree, I believe. And I talk about that in the book as well. We have to be so, so present to what's actually your body saying, yes, I want this, and what's 
all those other external factors saying you need this yes you know so if you get a delivery advert maybe you do need that but maybe you don't and you're just being <laughs> advertised that again and yeah, again and again exactly we really yeah yeah getting really cognizant to like how powerful those advertising messages that we've been consuming our entire lives yes are around alcohol i've really started to notice and watch out for this watching tv and films like how much alcohol is consumed yes oh my god oh my god and i really notice it now i was watching a film yeah. the other day and they were like knocking back the white wine it made me want to drink hmm. right. um because i guess that's maybe that's i don't know if they're trying to do that to you but seeing other people drink makes you kind of want to do it i find i think as you progress if you decide to progress with this that will become less and less and less and it'll become much more about is it really what i want and i mean it's in, it was interesting to me that that glass of wine tasted nice because previously when i've had a sip it just tastes really toxic and poisonous and so i think yeah the fact that it actually tasted nice was another sign yeah. that it was what my body wanted in that set and you in and that you, situation and you were able to just like not want another one. Oh yeah yeah and this is another interesting thing like a friend of mine most of my friends are now sober curious which is great but one friend was chatting and she was sort of saying you know it's really interesting i've worked out that the reason i was drinking was generally to keep other people happy and to kind of be the the person that i was expected to be for these other people mm. And I was like, yeah, I worked out that I was drinking to change the way I felt. And I think, right. and it was actually much easier for her to kind of cut it out completely. She said it's almost a relief now to not not have to drink. Right. Whereas I think when it's related to how you feel and altering your emotional state, there's a deeper dependency there. Yeah. Which Wait. just takes, it's not like it, it won't reverse. It just takes time to unlearn. You're unlearning a habit, basically. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm ready to face it. And also, yes. you know, the whole January thing coming up is, yes. is a good time. Like I bought some great gratitude journals. I, I bought this one called like five minutes in the morning where you wake up and you just like think about things for the first five minutes. But I would have been thinking about things hung over for the first five minutes. <laughs> so I'm like... So you might be thinking, what did I say last night? Who do I text? Who did I text? What? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm waking up being like, right, so clear mind. So, it'll be very interesting to see what comes through. Yeah. But yeah, and on the tip of um, going home for the holidays, I think this is probably going to come out afterwards, but bring your own. Like there's so many, there are so many cool and you could turn up, you know, with like, oh, look, I've got this alcohol-free Prosecco. They might laugh at you at first, but... You drinking that will probably bring up less comments than you having a Diet Coke. Yes, and I've noticed that last night I had an alcohol-free beer and other, and everyone else had um, a beer. Mm. And it felt like we were all together. Yeah. And no one remembers really that it's alcohol-free. Exactly. But just a quick question then on, on the term sober curious. Could, mm. Can you call yourself sober curious if you occasionally drink? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Sober curious can be applied. If you're at whatever level you're questioning, it's that questioning mind why am I drinking? Why is everyone drinking? What don't I want to feel? What do I want to feel? And it's, if you're cultivating that question in mind, then you're sober curious. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Just double checking for the listeners out there. You have created such a brilliant thing. And actually, it's very inspiring to create your own labels and create your own movements that don't have to fit into what's come before. So thank Absolutely. you for writing the book. Well, thank you for reading it. And like, yeah, for for trying it out yeah. well I, I, did, I, knew, I knew this episode would be uh, slightly deeper maybe because I was, I was kind of bringing some um, 
some some baggage with me for you to unpack. <laughs> I'm really happy you did. <laughs> um, anyway, how can people find the book? It's coming out. Is it coming out in paperback or did I make that There's up? A, the UK edition is paperbacks coming out. Yeah, they're being funny about the date, but it's around. It's either end of December or very beginning of January. The hardback is available now, but the paperback's coming out. It's for the UK. I think Amazon sadly is the easiest way to get it you can i'm on social media pretty much just instagram at ruby warrington which is where i post most of the sober curious stuff brilliant thank you so much ruby for being so honest and like going deep on it thanks Um, for having me i feel like this is not going to be the last time because i feel like we could do a whole other episode (laughs) on all the other stuff we could so yeah watch this space (laughs) love it thank you so much thank you thank you